All right, welcome into episode 98 of the Natural Hattrick Podcast alongside Craig Morgan. I'm Luke Lipinski. Jamie Eisner is off beginning a real estate career. I don't know where he is. Oh, wait, I see him out there. He's literally 10 feet away from where we're recording this show, but he's not a part of it. So I will say, as a public service, if you're tuning in to hear Jamie Eisner, and <laughs> come on, you can drop the charade, you don't need to keep listening. But uh, wow. you should keep listening because Craig and I are here. Uh, we're going to talk to Isabel Kershudian about the Washington Capitals later on in the show and get a, a pretty in-depth preview on a team that continues to finish at the top of the NHL standings, win one playoff series, and bow out to the Penguins in the second round. And chances are this upcoming season they're going to be, I think, still one of the higher teams in the standings, and they will probably at some point have to play the Penguins. So we'll see how it goes. You've got your uh, sharp razor out today, don't you? That's, you know what? We're yeah, closing in on episode cutting, 100, so I'm, I'm getting cutting right up. and left. Well, you know, if Jamie cared, he would be here. Look, he's he's looking at us. It. It's like he knows. little thing called the baseball trade, the trade deadline that he's worried about today. Well, as we record this, it's over. The Clearly trades he doesn't have been care made. about hockey. Seriously. All right. Let's, uh, let's get into this, Craig, and let's start with the release of the NBC TV schedule for the upcoming The most ever schedule in NBC history? That's, that's the quotes. Uh, let's see. We're proud to offer our most diverse NHL schedule ever to fans across the country. That's from the executive producer and president of production for NBC Sports. And uh, here we go. The Blackhawks are on 17 times. The Penguins are on 16 times. Flyers, too. And the Flyers are on 16 they times. I love Pennsylvania. That's what, do they, are they based out of Pennsylvania this year? There's some connection we don't know about there. Look, I understand money's that... Money's being exchanged under tables. Oh, I think money's being exchanged openly on, on, <laughs> on the TV deals. But, um, look, I get that Chicago draws fan interest. And the Penguins have won the last two Stanley Cups. But, A, wow, that's a lot for those two teams. Uh, considering, I mean, there are other teams that aren't even getting shown at all. And a lot of teams are getting shown once or twice. But the one that just boggles my mind, Philadelphia is getting shown as much as probably the two most popular teams in the NHL right now. Why? I'm assuming they're doing their homework on ratings of particular teams. And that's what they're basing Okay, then on. why are people watching Philadelphia? That's a, that's a better question. That's why <laughs> now, I just, now I, you've hit at the heart of it. I, I asked why, <laughs> so it could be an open-ended okay. question. And along those lines, the next teams on that list that are all being shown 15 times, the Bruins, the Red Wings... I wish Jamie were here for that. <laughs> and the Washington Capitals, who you understand. But the Wings and the Bruins are on 15 times each. Again, this is about interest in a hockey market. Clearly because the Bruins made the playoffs last year, but they bowed out in the first round. The Wings are headed in the wrong direction after, oh, granted, a long, long, long period of success, or at least making the playoffs. Neither one of those teams is really must-see hockey, but they play in markets that care about hockey, so NBC's going to show them, and... Those six teams that we just mentioned are all east of the Mississippi River. Look, I'm not naive. I get what's going on. You need to show the, you know, the original six teams and, and the teams that are in the biggest hockey markets more than the other teams. I understand that, okay? But this is your chance to grow the game. I mean, this is your biggest platform to show it nationally in the U.S. And I'm not saying that you show... I don't know, pick a team, whoever. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying you show a, a, a team that is in a smaller market or, or less traditional hockey market more than, say, Philadelphia or Detroit, but maybe it could be a little bit closer than what it is. You would think that that would be important to the NHL. Probably not as important to NBC because they're just looking to maximize profit, but you would think that the NHL would have some sort of stipulation on that to make sure that there's a little better balance than exists right now. Here's the perfect example, all right? The Dallas Stars are on twice this year. 
they're they're a cup they're a cup contender this year. I, they are correct. Yeah, they are. I mean, I, I, if, go if get we're sitting here another trade deadline, you're a cup contender. If if we're picking the Stanley Cup right now, and we're not, I'm not picking Dallas, but they absolutely could at least get to the Western Conference Finals. And instead, we're going to watch Philadelphia eight times as many more times as Dallas on national television this year. Now, not you or I, because we both have the hockey package. Vegas but, is on five times though. And, and that's cool, and I get that, but they're not going to be fun to watch. Here's the thing. I would put Vegas on for their first ever game, and then I might not come back to Vegas for a very long time. Maybe this was just NBC's execs thinking, hey, we can go out to Vegas a few times. <laughs> that might, yeah, we need to double because check. Because the hockey is going to be ugly. Are all those games that, that are Vegas, are they in Vegas? Because that, that's probably something worth looking at. I haven't delved into that, but I should probably look. But here's a couple other ones. Columbus is on once all year, and... I think, honestly, they need – maybe this isn't logistically possible, but it would be really nice if they had that sort of flex option that they have in the NFL where you get later in the season, maybe they can flex a couple teams into Sunday night football or whatever. Um, and it, that shouldn't be impossible. But with Columbus, you just saw them put up, what, the fourth-best record in the NHL last year, and they haven't really lost anybody. That's well, an exciting team to watch. It really is. So that's – you have to pick your spots. I understand you don't need to put Vancouver on a lot. And, in fact, they're not on at all, which I didn't even think was possible. But Vancouver and Winnipeg aren't on at all uh, on NBC Sports or NBC this year. Uh, so I guess we'll have to wait till Vancouver makes the playoffs before we can see them, right? <laughs> yeah. but well, I, I think Vancouver might be happy just staying out of the limelight <laughs> for a little while. But teams like Dallas and Columbus you would think would be on more than they are. And, and I can find some games you could take off the uh, the national schedule. By the way, Ottawa, all the way to within a goal of going to the Stanley Cup last year, they're on once. And one of the most exciting players in the game. Yeah, not, maybe not one of the most exciting teams, but one of the most exciting players. Hmm. All right, let's get into some of these other uh, news and notes. Mika Zibanejad, five years at $5.35 million per year with the New York Rangers. I understand they were happy with what he gave them last year, and they still see upside. Uh, and obviously they traded Derek Broussard over a year ago now to get him from Ottawa. So you're invested. But to me, when you look at their roster, that is them saying he's their number one center now. It, it is. Uh, you know, I like that number, though. I mean, that's that's a good contract, don't you think, for a number one center? That's, if that, he's that's your number one center, yeah. Yeah, and clearly they're saying I mean, they traded Derek Stepan, so he, he's got to be, really. Yeah. At this point, and and those those are pretty good numbers. Now, is he going to live up to it? We'll see. But clearly, they didn't think Derek Stepan was a guy that they needed around anymore. They can slide him into this role. And again, at those numbers, even if he plays like a number two center, you're you're okay with that. So that's a pretty good contract in my mind. And and I mean, part of the reason they traded Derek Stepan was they needed they need a draft pick. They need some some ways to replenish the farm system because you can't just count on poaching guys like Jimmy Vesey every couple of years. That that's not. It worked, I guess, last year, but it's not something you can rely on from year to year. Yeah, Jimmy Vesey had his struggles, too. I mean, he did. He started hot and then sort of faded. He sort of? <laughs> he completely I don't faded. think he played the last 45 games of the season. <laughs> but, you, you know, when you, you bring up Mika Zibanejad's contract, compared to Ryan Johansson, who, mind you, has probably done a little bit more and really looked good in the playoffs last season. His team goes to the cup final. But he gets eight years and $64 million. That's top-line center money, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so Zibanejad is locked up for five years at a, at a pretty good number. So if he if he becomes productive over this period of time, you're, you're pretty happy. And Zibanejad's still pretty young as well. So mm-hmm. you're, I don't think they're expecting him to turn into Ryan, uh, Ryan Johansson. But uh, it's, just, it's interesting because when you, when you make that commitment for the next five years and you see what New York has, I think a lot of people still think they have a pretty good team. 
but that's their number one center, and so that's, uh, I don't know. You, I mean, you talk about this all the time. Age, too, by the way, between Johansson and, and Zabinijan. Thank you, because so. I was trying to look that up, and it was just causing me all sorts of uh, multitasking issues over here. Yeah, I mean, we, we can go into the, the whole Ranger problem that has existed for many years. I mean, I've never felt the Rangers were good enough up the middle to win a cup. They got close, mind you, behind the brilliance of their defensive play and mostly uh, their goaltender, yeah. Henrik Lundqvist. But I've never felt that they had enough oomph up front, particularly at the center position, to get over that hump. And you can you can still make that argument about this club. But, you know, again, at that number, maybe that's a way of eventually, if you can find another piece, getting to that point. It sort of reinforces the uh, the way the Rangers see Mika Zibanejad as opposed to the way Ottawa saw him. Because you're right, he's only 24 years old. And I remember thinking when that trade was made, nothing against Derek Broussard, but it, it sort of seemed like Ottawa was... Maybe not undervaluing, but certainly didn't value Zabinijad nearly as much as the Rangers did. And then for them just a year later to, to commit to him for five years for you know, over $26 million shows that they really do believe in the guy they got in that deal. And he was fine last year, but he, he didn't have like, season-altering numbers. He was just he was good. Yeah. And Ottawa went to the conference final, by the way. That's true. Thanks for reminding me of that. They're on uh, one time on, on NBC this yeah, year. We'll be reminded that one time. Connor Sheary signing for three years with the Penguins. Uh, you're the, the floor is yours for this one. Well, actually, Craig, I'm going to turn this back on you. Okay. Connor Sheary was really solid for uh, for Pittsburgh this past year, and you can you know you can say whatever he's playing with Crosby, so that's why he's having a good year. And you can say that about Jake Gensel, I guess, too. Uh, but you know, not everybody can can play with the top players in the league and be productive. I could not. <laughs> well, that's why Connor Sheary got somewhere between my ability and Connor Sheary's ability. You might be able to play with Sidney Crosby, though. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, the reason I'm going to turn this back on you, and I, I get that Pittsburgh has lost some pieces this year. Last year, the reason people like Craig actually thought that they might be able to, to repeat a, a year ago, you were saying that, is because they didn't really lose any pieces. Now, this year, you've lost Trevor Daling, you've lost Ron Hainsey and Nick Bonino and Marc-Andre Fleury. You've lost pieces. But other than Fleury, and that was a very strange, unique circumstance. It's a great story, too. It was. Uh, other than Flurry, though, they haven't really lost any homegrown talent. And so that's where I'm turning this back on you. Do you see a difference in the way the Penguins are handling success than the way the Blackhawks have? Because <laughs> when Pittsburgh's losing players, they're guys they essentially rented for a year or two. Well, I, I yeah. Okay. <laughs> wow, that's a loaded question. Do I see a difference in the way they're handling success? I would rephrase the question okay. and say, do you see a difference in the way they're handling the cap? Okay. Yes. <laughs> the cap yes, after I success. I would, I would say I see a major difference in the way the general manager is handling success okay. in the cap. That's the biggest difference because the Blackhawks could have been an insane dynasty if Stan Bowman had managed the cap a lot better than he did. They've had, I, I don't think you can find an organization that has developed as much talent over the past six, seven, eight years as the Blackhawks. When you look at the ex-Blackhawks around the league, it's ridiculous how much talent is out there. It's also ridiculous that they had to shed so much of that talent because they managed the cap so poorly. Pittsburgh's simply done a better job of managing the cap, and that's why they, they were able to repeat because they kept much of that roster in place, and that's why you know they're, they're able to manage things right now. They, they still have a very good roster. When you look at this, do you think the Penguins are a cup contender again next year? Well, yeah. Of course yeah, they are. Yeah, absolutely. It's... Um, I- it is a fair comparison, though, right, just in the sure. sense that it, it's tougher. You know, when, when you're doing what Pittsburgh and Chicago have done over the last eight years now, basically, what they've, they've both won three of the last nine Stanley Cups. Uh, when you're doing that, 
you're not getting to pick in the top of the first round or the top of every round. And so you have to scout well. You have to draft maybe take some flyers on some guys and, and make it work when they get to the NHL level. You have to develop these guys. Mm-hmm. I don't know that anybody looks at Connor Sheary and they say, oh, that's Brandon Saad or Tevu Teravainen, but Pittsburgh knows that Sheary works in Pittsburgh. And so it's not I – mean, they, they've kept Brian Dumoulin this offseason. They've kept Justin Schultz, who I know they didn't draft, but they got him when he was basically still finding his way in this league. They signed Olimata a couple – what, a year or two ago now? So, I mean, all these guys that, that they have drafted for the most part, they're keeping. And the guys they're losing are guys that they traded or, or just signed, like Nick Benino and Ron Hainsey and Trevor Daly. It's, right. it's very – it's a very different way of going about things. It's a good contract, too, isn't it? I mean, I know he's when they had one year of true productivity, but at $3 million a year, when, when you've, looked at, you've looked at his career arc, it's a good contract, and now you've got him locked up for the next three years. And you know he plays. You, know, you already know he can do yeah. what you want him to do because it would, be, it would be different even if Pittsburgh was bringing in Connor Sheary from a different team. You know that the mix you have works, so why, why screw with it if you don't have to? And you've got cost certainty. Andre, the buzzword for the NHL. Cost, cost certainty. certainty. Is this a time when I jump in and tell you that's two words? It is. Okay. Yeah, let's move past All that. Right. <laughs> what do you do for a living? I don't know. Andre Markov, uh, just, I guess, let go by Montreal. As you said in the pre-show conversation, I mean, Montreal is just so set up along the blue line, they don't need to keep guys like this, right? <laughs> that's, and he was, he was okay with a one-year deal, so... Why would you not do it at that point? You look, I know he's aging. Maybe you're trying to move on. But it's not like your blue line is so set, so solid. You feel so good about that. Why would we bring Andre Markov back for one year? Yeah, they've got so many young players beating down the door. I mean, I guess they have Mikhail Sergachev. Oh, no, wait. Obviously, but he's in Tampa now. You know, Montreal is intent on getting slower, I know. <laughs> hey, sometimes you got to zag when They're everybody else zigs. Here, you know? <laughs> right. The NHL is a speed game now, so hey, we're we're gonna take it in a different direction here. We're gonna slow it down. Yeah, you got to be different. You yeah. got to, you, like I said, you got to zag when everybody else digs. Now, in fairness to them, it's not like Markov had that long of a resume in Montreal. This would have only been his seventeenth year with the team, <laughs> so you know, it's just not any issues of like, hey, well, just keep him just because of who he is. He also had thirty six points last year, and I know the second I say the words plus and minus back to back, half the listening audience is gonna freak out. But he was a plus eighteen on a team that, as you said, Craig, is not loaded on defense. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it helps to have a vet back there as well. Mm-hmm. All he, that, yeah. He certainly qualifies. <laughs> uh, other, other little news and notes to throw along. The draft in 2018 will be in Dallas. So that's next year. Yes, it is. And look at that. Let me, let me break some news here. Um, are, you, are you going to that, or are we going to the award show in Vegas? Uh, I haven't decided yet. I went to the draft. I really like covering it this year in Chicago. I, I obviously don't have as much of an attachment to Dallas as I do. Chicago, but it, it's easy to reach. In fact, I, I drove it once. I drove from here to Dallas to cover ASU playing Notre Dame in a football game. That was, that was a pleasant experience. Yeah, Actually, now that I'm thinking back on it, well, those just miles and miles of West Texas, yeah. Dust Bowl, oil, derricks, and junkyards. Yeah, maybe I won't do that, actually. And you don't get to go through Amarillo, which we now know is your favorite city in America. I guess you could, you could go out of your way to hit Amarillo on the way to Dallas. Been to Amarillo twice in my life now. I'm hoping... Oh, wow. Okay. That's a bold claim. All-Star game in Tampa Bay. You ever been to Tampa? I have been to Tampa. I've been to Tampa, too. It's very uh, warm and humid. Mm-hmm. Kind I don't of like, like All-Star games. I don't like covering All-Star games. I just feel like, why am I here? What's the point of this entire thing? <laughs> Isn't that sort of your attitude towards this podcast? <laughs> well, when Jamie's not here, I kind of feel that way. Yeah, okay. That's not very nice. The chemistry goes towards, towards me. I mean, I can hear everything you're saying, and so can all the listeners. Uh, 
since the last time we did a show, the Arizona Coyotes hired a couple assistants, Scott Allen, John McClain. Your thoughts on, on the additions to Rick Tockett's coaching staff? I know that I know it's, it's a work in progress, and you can only say so much until they've actually coached a little bit uh, with the team. But, you know, there's, there's some experience there at least. Sure. You look, and McClain's been a head coach in this league. So, that I mean, it, people can look at his – Look at what he did as a head coach. Say, well, he, he's no good. I, I never understand that argument because, like anything else in life, you learn from your experiences and you get better at things once you've done them for a while. So it's a it's a veteran guy behind the bench. Rick Tockett obviously was impressed with him. I don't know if he's going to improve their power play. To me, that's still more about personnel than anything. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. People look at his past again and say, well, he, he didn't do anything with the power play. Well, again, it's about personnel mostly. I think there are a lot of coaches that can coach a successful power play if they're given the right tools. On the flip side of that, you look at what Scott Allen did with the power play in Florida. That was that was pretty impressive. He sort of turned that thing around. So those are their roles, offense, defense. We'll see how they mesh with Rick Tockett. You know, he, he talked about when, when we had Rick on a conference call, he talked about not only find, finding guys that, you know, sort of agreed with his philosophy, but guys that complement his strengths. He has weaknesses. He acknowledges it. John Chaika acknowledges it. So you try and find guys to fill in those gaps as well, but still guys that can inspire. Can, can follow in this philosophy of more of an up-tempo game relating to players. Again, we'll just have to wait and see how that all shakes out. You mentioned Scott Allen, too, with, with Florida. I mean, there's, there are similarities between the way Florida's roster has been constructed and the way the Coyotes are now in the sense that you are, you're not just bringing along a lot of young players. You are bringing along guys with, with some pretty high expectations. I mean, go, go back to the Chicago-Pittsburgh conversation we were having they're they're bringing up young guys that they know they like that fit in with their their already established core in Florida a couple years ago and certainly with the Coyotes now those young players were drafted much higher and they are the core so it's you know there's there's at least some similarities which you'd like to see if if I if I ran an NHL team the two things I'd be doing would be offer sheeting everybody that (laughs) I wanted and I would be hiring former head coaches as my assistants and I understand it doesn't always work but that's what I like the third thing is I would have when I was adding a new coach, he would probably be my AHL coach. I would have, like, a pipeline working up. The third I, one I'm fine with. The first one, you'd probably alienate all the GMs. The second one, you'd alienate a lot of fans. Yeah. but That's my care. plan. No. Yeah. I mean, okay. hey, hey, if I got control of the team, that's just <laughs> your mistake for putting plan. me there. Okay. It's just out there. <laughs> uh, all right, here. Anything else before we get into uh, the Washington Capitals? Quickly, actually, I, I did see this tweet late last week, and I believe you must have seen it, too. Talk that uh, guys like Shane Doan and Jerome McGinley, we might Fisher, Mike Fisher as well, maybe could see them in the Olympics for Team Canada. Well, nobody else is going, so <laughs> might as well call these guys three on three hockey. They're uh, they're not doing much right now, so yeah, we still don't know for sure what Shane Doan is doing. Uh, we could, that could, by the way, could go all the way to training camp. His agent Terry Bross told me he may not make a decision until September, so. I would assume when's your next road trip? When's the next time you're going to be in Amarillo? See, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon that I can remember, so that, that's not going to factor in here. Wow. Okay, so he's probably not going to announce anything for a while. But I know there's a lot of Shane Doan fans out there. Uh, I am among them, and as are you, Craig. Shane Doan, the person. I don't know if we'll get to the point where they, you know, where he's a not playing in the NHL next year. B, Team Canada asks him to play, but. Team Canada has had success with him in the past, and I would definitely be watching a lot more of Team Canada. And I'm acting like I don't watch every hockey game in the Olympics anyway, but I'd watch harder. Um, I'd watch the game much closer if Shane Doan was there. It'd be kind of a, a cool way to go out. Yeah, it would. I, it, that would actually be a nice celebration of his career. Uh, I think we all expect 
Are, are you expecting Russia to win the, the gold medal? Because the there's Olympics? no NHLers there? Yes, exactly. Is anyone else going to be competitive? I don't, I don't know. Russia but, will win if Ovechkin doesn't get to go, and then we'll just he'll just look sad the rest of the, of the <laughs> NHL season. That's right. Poor <laughs> Alex. Then we'll get to the playoffs. He'll win he'll, something someday. He'll be even more sad. All right, that's a perfect segue to our first guest to talk about the Washington Capitals and the outlook for one of the perennially best regular season teams in the NHL. All right, we continue our uh, summer preview series now with one of the more intriguing teams in the NHL, the Washington Capitals, and we are joined by Washington Post reporter Isabel Kershudian to talk about the Capitals. Isabel, first of all, thanks for the time today. Uh, what's, what's the feeling locally about the Capitals this summer after, you know, obviously another disappointing exit last year? Yeah, I think people are kind of deflated, you know, last year and, you know, even the year before that, so really kind of the last two years. Um, we're kind of seen as the year to get it done. Um, there just seemed to seems to kind of be like a ticking clock around this team, just because you know Ovechkin's getting older, Backstrom's getting older. Um, you have the young guys who, you know, as you kind of see in this off season, they need to get paid, and it was hard to kind of maybe keep that team together as you know as talented as it was before. And, so when they didn't get it done, and um, I know at least the Capitals really felt like they were a better team than Pittsburgh, but they should have beaten Pittsburgh in that second-round series. Um, so when that didn't happen, and it was kind of the same thing as it's been, you know, for a while now with, you know, kind of second-round loss, um, I think people are just really kind of, they feel defeated about this team, and um, now it seems like the future is kind of unclear. You know, I think when Ovechkin entered the league, people might have thought, oh, that guy will definitely win a Stanley Cup at some point, right? And, you know, now with just kind of what the team looks like and, you know, some of the choices they have to make this summer, um, I don't think they're as strong on paper. You obviously never know what will happen, but I think that's a kind of a sobering reality that maybe, you know, the plan window is kind of closed a little bit. All right, well, let's... Let's talk about some of those losses because clearly, as you said, this is a different team than last year's roster. Um, you, we, you all knew this was coming. We, you and I talked about this uh, on the long drive from uh, the Ice Den to Gila River Arena last year, and you <laughs> talked about it on the podcast with us the last time. But let's start with that blue line. How will the losses of Kevin Shattenkirk, Carl Alsner, and Nate Schmidt impact this blue line, and who's in line to replace those minutes? Yeah, I think they expected to lose Alzner and Shattenkirk. Um, just kind of the reality of, you know, those guys were going to see greener pastures in free agency than anything the Cats would be able to offer them. Um, where I think the loss that really hurts them, I think, is Nate Schmidt, because he would have been kind of a little bit more cost-controlled, and they had penciled him in to play in the top four. He's a really mobile defenseman, a really strong skater, and they liked how he played in the playoffs. He's a younger, you know, D-man, too, at only 25 for blue liners. You know, that's a good age. So I think that one hurts uh, that he was selected in the expansion draft. Um, and that's going to be kind of the toughest hole to fill. They're going to have their top pair of Matt Niskanen and Dimitri Orlov. But that pair was really, really good last year. It's kind of their first year together. And then, you know, who's going to play with John Carlson? That's a big question mark. It might be a rookie D. Um, I think Christian Juice is going to get a look there. He's never played in an NHL game. Um, he was really good in, you know, the American Hockey League last year, but 
because that blue line has been so stable over the past years and, you know, been very healthy, uh, a lot of these AHL defensemen haven't gotten, you know, any time, you know, with the Capitals, and now they're going to have to lean on those guys. Is so they've said they're going to kind of experiment with whoever plays with Carlson, and then your third pairing is going to be, again, another rookie D or someone who really hasn't been up there, and Brooks Orpik. Was that a, a surprise that they lost uh, Nate Schmidt in the expansion draft? There was so much talk nationally of, of them probably losing Philip Grubauer, and all of a sudden they get to keep him, but they lose a young defenseman. I think locally we thought they were going to lose Nate Schmidt just okay. based on how well he played in the playoffs. I mean, I, I don't know. It's hard because, you know, when you watch this team every day, you say, okay, Nate Schmidt's really good. If I'm Vegas, you know, it's hard to get good young defensemen. Um, you know, those take time to develop. That's probably what I'm taking. Um, and there was a lot of good goaltenders available. So, you know, that's kind of who, where I thought they would go. But, yeah, there, it was definitely between those two. Um, and the way Brian McClellan tells it, I think they did take their time making that decision and um, did at least consider taking Gruber for a while there. All right, well, let's, let's move up front because there were, there were more losses than, than just on the blue line. Marcus Johansson in a trade. You know, I, I think everybody saw something had to happen because of the cap situation they're in, but he's one player that goes out the door, and, of course, Justin Williams leaves as well. How do you see those losses impacting this roster? Yeah, again, I think they probably expected to lose Justin just because they had guys like Andre Barakovsky, Evgeny Kuznetsov, um, you know, Dmitry Orlov. Those guys needed to get paid. Um you know, Burkowski was coming off his, like, entry-level deal, and you need to figure that stuff. deal was probably going to be a big one uh, just because of how well he's played over the past two years. So, you know, that was kind of a free agent departure you more or less expected. And they have people who I thought, like, could fill his role. Um, the Johansson trade was maybe kind of unfortunate and forced by, you know, signing Oshie to a big deal, signing Kuznetsov to a big deal. I mean, it was just obvious at some point that they weren't going to have the money to field a 22-man roster if something didn't give. You know, they had to move somebody out. Um, and it ended up being Marcus, who I thought he was – he just played his first year on that new contract, which paid him like 4.583. And for a 26-year-old, 25-goal score, I didn't think that was bad by any means. When you look at what some people are getting paid in free agency. Uh, so I think that – a tough pill to swallow, just getting you know a second and a third back for him, um, just took. But they obviously couldn't take any salary back, and uh, you know they're going to have to have some guys step up. Burkowski needs to be better. Uh, he's you know shown flashes, but he's also had really kind of long stretches of inconsistency. Um, Jacob Verona, I think, is going to get a chance, and he's their first round pick from a couple years ago. He had maybe 20 games of NHL play this past year, and you know, was kind of on and off. You know, he had his moments, but didn't seem to quite put it all together either. And then the fourth line right now is pretty up in the air. I think that was a strength for them last year was how much of a four-line team they really were. And while they have the benefit of bringing back all four centers, um, it's hard to kind of picture exactly who's going to be on that fourth line, where it's going to look like. So there is some upheaval there, but... Um, Definitely bringing back. I mean, they still have Oshie. They still have Ovechkin back from and Kuznetsov. Um, so, I mean, there's still, 
I think they're going to be just fine on the forward court. It's the D core that maybe took more of a hit there. Isabel, how much of that responsibility with, with some of those guys leaving does fall on Burakovsky now? In, in your mind, and maybe the team's mind as well, if you've, if you've talked to them specifically about this, what, what are their expectations for him now going forward? I mean, I think they expect him to kind of produce at a pretty consistent level. I mean, the past two years, he's gone at least, I know, so two years ago, he went 25 games without a goal, and last year he went 26. And both of those drives kind of ended with him getting scratched. He was a healthy scratch, and he came back and, you know, then went on a streak. He's just incredibly streaky. Um, like, sometimes he's really hot, and, you know, he's scoring all the time, he's hitting the net, and sometimes it's just, you know, he's shooting or he has a lot of good possession, but he's either not hitting the net or he's just not, you know, shooting the puck into, like, the goaltender's gut or something like that, you know? Um, so I think they want him to kind of maybe get out of his own head a little bit and just have that consistent play over 82 games. And he can be like a 25 goal scorer. He's got the shot. He's really soft. You saw in the playoffs kind of towards the end of that Pittsburgh series, he was playing on a line with Oshie and Backstrom, and he was quite good. So I think, you know, maybe they would like to do that again to start, you know, the season, kind of put him with those two. And he adds some speed to that kind of first line, and he's certainly got the talent. I think I just want to kind of see him take the next step with some consistency. All right, you mentioned a couple of those big signings earlier on. Let, let's talk about those. T.J. Oshie obviously had a terrific season for them. He was going to command pretty good money on the open market. Um, but, you know, so it made sense in a, in a way to, to re-sign him. But what about the deal that they gave him, an eight-year deal at that kind of money? Does that make sense to you, especially at age 30? The way they saw it is that they wanted to keep him, and they need to do what they need to do to keep him. Um, so once you decide, I guess, that, okay, he's a priority, we want to have him on the team next year, then, you know, the way to kind of make those puzzle pieces fit is that you have to give term, you know, to lower the AAV to make, you know, everything kind of affordable. Um, so that's sort of what they did. They gave him the eight years. They're going to hope that he's you know, like a Joe Thornton or Patrick Marlowe and plays well into, you know, the contract. But, um, I don't know, if you're a GM and you give that kind of a deal, you assume, okay, he's probably going to play well for the first half of it at the very least. And if, if we don't win a Stanley Cup in that time, then this is probably somebody else's problem. Um, <laughs> to be honest. Right? It's so true. I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of GMs think that way. <laughs> right? Like, you know, if it's all going to be fine. People will forgive this deal. And if we don't, then, you know, it's the next GM's, like, thing to deal with. Yeah. So I don't have, like, a problem with it. I mean, they're still thinking kind of in the immediate. There's some trade protection on the back half of that deal. Um, you know, things really go awry. But you also have to assume maybe the salary cap goes up. You know, it doesn't look so bad later on. But And it better for the NHL. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think for now it's, the AAV is pretty reasonable considering he's coming off like a 33-goal season. Um, but, yeah, I, we'll see how that deal looks in five years, I guess. Was the uh, the $7.8 million per year for Evgeny Kuznetsov, was that viewed locally as, as too much or maybe a steal or just about right? And in, are there areas in his game that they're still looking for him to improve in? Um, I think 
that was about, I expected him to get something in the neighborhood of six by six, six million by six years, or uh, maybe a little bit more. You know, I ballparked it sort of. I'm certainly not going to deal with contracts, but um, so yeah, I think everybody kind of thought it was a lot more than expected. And I think the team thought it was more than expected. You know, Brian McGowan kind of said as much. And the reason why is that he had cage on leverage. Um, you know, he said uh, there's a report that he got offered, like I think Friedman reported this, ten million for two, uh, ten million a season for the next two years um, in the K-12. And in which case, if he did that, I mean, McClellan kind of said that you know there was some discussion of him going to the KHL, playing in Russia for the next two years, and coming back. He's an unrestricted free agent. They lose him for nothing. Um, so they felt like they needed to do that to keep him, um, give him that kind of a deal. And they also seen as a number one center. You know, a number one center is worth that. We just know Ryan Johansson got paid. Same kind of deal, eight by eight. Um, so that's kind of how they rationalized it. I think it's a little bit more than I was expecting, but you know, he's a really talented player. Again, I think you know it's a consistency kind of thing. We saw. Two years ago in the playoffs, his performance really kind of dipped, and then he started off last year really slow. Um, but I think, you know, the way he finished the season, the way he was playing the playoffs where he was getting kind of difficult defensive assignments, um, you know, he was scoring, he was, you know, the electric player he can be. I think the defensive part of his game, being able to kind of play – you know, handle players like Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews. He started doing some of that last year. Um, the reason he's so good at it at times is just because he always has the puck himself. Um, I think that's where he still has room to grow, but they definitely see him as, you know, basically their number one center. I wouldn't be surprised if Ovechkin starts the season on the line with him. Uh, let's hit on a couple other things. Um, Devontae smith Pelly. I'm curious uh, what the thinking is there. Um, he, he had a good playoff for Anaheim a couple seasons ago, but a guy that has not been consistently productive in his NHL career. What's the upside there? What's, what's the thinking in bringing him in? Yeah, I mean, he's on the league minimum um, contract. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually even a two-way. But I, I they expect him to, you know, maybe be on a fourth line with Jay Beagle. And the way McClellan put it, he's a project. You know, they brought in Brett Connolly last season. That was another guy who a former really top pick um, who hadn't, you know, found success really in his previous stops, and he comes to Washington. Maybe they put him in a good situation. He has a career best year. Uh, so maybe they're hopeful they can do something like that with, you know, smith Pelly, have him deep in the lineup where, you know, perhaps he can provide some scoring back there. And if he doesn't and, you know, he just, Maybe he turns into, like, a penalty killer or whatever, takes that kind of role, that's okay, too. Or they can, you know, send him to VA, I guess, because he's on a two-way. Um, although he'd have to clear waivers. But I think that's sort of how they see it. You know, there's, it's a very low risk for them on that kind of a contract. Okay, so then I guess overall, Isabel, are the expectations in Washington now lower for this team going into next season? And, and, you know, if that's the case, is that maybe even a good thing? And are there areas where you could see this team maybe even being better or at least as good as they were last year? Yeah, I mean, I think internally, you know, I think they're going to 
certainly, for the team, the expectations are more or less the same. I mean, I think they're good enough to make the playoffs, certainly, and then, you know, who knows what happens, what happens from there. You know, sometimes teams just kind of catch fire at the right time. Um, we've all seen that. Nashville kind of seemed to do that last year. But um, maybe exhaling the expectations are lower. I don't know if, you know, a lot of pundits are going to be picking them for the Stanley Cup like they have been the past two years. And maybe that is a good thing. I know, you know, before they were going into that series against Pittsburgh last year, Baxham said now we get to be the underdog. That's a good thing. I think they want to fall under the radar a little bit. I think they play better when – they've always seemed to play better when people count them out. You kind of saw that when they were going to one in that Pittsburgh series. They tied the series. And then, once again, when everybody was expecting them to win, that game seven, that's when they fell flat. Um, I don't know if it's a pressure thing, but they do seem to kind of do better when the expectations are a little bit lower. Um, so maybe it'll be a good thing for them. Uh, but I think certainly they expect to make the playoffs. Their goaltending is going to be, you know, just as good, if not better, than it has been with Pussy and Grubauer and... Maybe they'll cover up for some of the mistakes by, you know, two rookie D and on the blue line. You know, maybe you'll have, like, an opposite factor. Perhaps the D won't be as good, and then the goaltending will suffer. Who knows? I mean, all of it's still kind of to be determined. You know, the past two years, you pretty much could guess who was going to make the team. And this year, you know, there's a lot of spots that are really, really questionable. Um so it'll be interesting. It'll be a lot more kind of fun to get to the playoffs, you know, this time around, I think. All right, last one for you, Isabel. Just a two-part question here. Do you expect any more moves this summer from the Caps, or are they likely counting on prospects to fill out the roster? And if so, which prospects have the best chance to make it? I think they're pretty much done. I think they're just going to kind of have players who don't like minimum or um, or prospects, you know, on their entry level deals, kind of fill it out from here. Um, you know, I think Jacob Verona will be in there. Uh, I think he's going to get a top six role, you know, maybe playing with uh, Kuznetsov. Um, on the D, I think Christian Juice, I expect him to be in the lineup uh, to start the season at least. Um, Lucas Johansson, who was their first round pick uh, two years ago. Um, I think he's going to get a really good chance. I think they want him to really show them something in training camp. But he hasn't even played in an A game. He played last year in junior. Um, so he might be kind of a dark horse candidate, but I could see him making a push to play, like, on a third pair. Um, Madison Bowie, that conversation with the defenseman. Um, I think Nathan Walker uh, could be on the fourth line, penalty killer. He's the first Australian to ever play in an NHL game. So a little bit of history if he makes the team. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a lot of them who have been kind of in the AHL. Now it's kind of the summer for them with how many spots are open. Yeah. Well, speaking of summer, by the way, I think the last time we had you on the podcast, if, if I'm remembering correctly, we, we, you had gone to Bali last summer. Did you have anything yeah. equally exotic this year? <laughs> Yeah, I went to Crete. Oh, wow. Jeez. 
You're blowing away everybody else. I'm looking at beat writers around the league. Like Kevin Curtis was, I think, was just in Barcelona. Uh, somebody else who, who was just somebody was just in Paris. I'm talking to all these beat writers. And they're all in Europe or somewhere else, and, and I'm here, by the way. But you, you <laughs> continually win the summer. How how was that experience? Uh, Crete was beautiful. Yeah, my first time going to Greece. It was there for like a week. Uh huh. Um, and it was like the first was amazing. And, yeah, everything was great. I loved it there. All right. I'm gonna do Morocco next summer. Which oh, is also all right, fine. <laughs> Stop showing off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Isabel, thanks Thanks so much for the time. Enjoy the rest of uh, what sounds like it'll be a fun off-season for you. All right, I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank See you. It. That's Isabel Kershugin talking uh, some Washington Capitals hockey there. It's, it's interesting to me the expectations for that team now because – we said this all of last season. You know, they're, they're not going to be as good this year, at least on paper. But at the same time, that's not a bad team. They've kept most of their roster intact, at least for right now. Like, the TJ Oshie deal doesn't look great long-term, at least not in my mind, and I, and I think you agree. Yeah. But your team, this upcoming season, you, what have you, you've lost some defense, and you lost Marcus Johansson. Yeah. And Justin Williams, who really wasn't. Obviously, he didn't score in Game 7 for them this year because they <laughs> so, didn't score. I mean, that's why it was there, yeah. right? <laughs> so, no, I mean, I, I think their losses are going to impact them. There, there's no way, especially on the blue line, when you look at those those three players going out. Now, granted, Kevin Chattenkirk came in late in the season and, and, to be honest, never really meshed all that well with that unit. So you can say, well, they were, they were the best team in the league before Chattenkirk even arrived. And I know there are Carl Alsner critics out there. There are people that didn't want to see him sign with their team. I think Carolyn Wilkie, our, our editor, was one of those who was hoping the Stars would not go after Carl <laughs> And they, they just signed everybody else. Yeah, exactly. But when you take three guys off the blue line, and Nate Schmidt really is another one. Like like Isabel said, he's, he's cost certainty. He's, he's young. He's mobile. That one's going to hurt them. So I, I think they have some issues there. They're just not as deep as they were. And for a team that didn't win the Cup, didn't get there last year, you, you have to wonder, I mean, how realistic – is it to think that Washington's in the mix again? That You're right, they should still be a good team, but are they a legitimate cup contender anymore? Well, I mean, there are definitely people out there that will tell you they're not a legitimate cup contender any year because <laughs> they never make it past the second round. Right. But if you just, over the last two years, they've had 238 points in the standings. So I don't deny that they're going to take a step back on paper. But if that step back is instead of having 118 points and running away with the division in the middle of March, they finish with 104 points and still make the playoffs, I just... They may drop from the number one seed overall heading into the playoffs to the number five or six, but that doesn't mean they can't still do some damage. I mean, they were base, they were one game away from ousting Pittsburgh last year. Now, it is interesting she brought that up. Nicholas Backstrom did say we're better off in the underdog role, and it didn't prove to be the case in Game 7 because they forgot to score. But in general, when they went down in that series, and they you can tell that is a team more than maybe any other team in the league right now, that if there's pressure on them, you can – see them thinking about it on the ice that's and that's not it i mean that's just not a good rep to have no and and they all they all put all those eggs into the basket last year you heard barry trotz when he was out here saying we're all in the owner was saying we're all in this year if we're not going to do it this year i don't know when we're going to do it because we're not going to be as good a team they were all saying it so you everybody's got it in their minds right now so I, i can't imagine the the psych profile you could do on the washington capitals right now but i just i can't see this team making a lot of noise next season. And, and getting back to the Oshi contract, if, if the organization's hope is that he's going to be productive for at least the first half of that contract, yeah, you know, at, a, at what is a reasonable AAV for a player of that caliber over the span of it, okay, 
I'd, I'd want a little more production. I'd want to get into the back end of that. But he's 30 years old already, and TJ Oshie's played a lot of hockey. I'm not even sure he's going to be productive halfway through that contract. I don't. I mean, again, I, I understand the reason she's citing, but I think that is one of those dangerous contracts. He's going to be really old when it expires, but I'm not even sure he's going to be productive halfway through it. The Evgeny Kuznetsov one was interesting, too, because you heard her say she expected probably about a million and a half less per year going his way, but you know, she gives the reason why. And it's funny, we talk so much on the show about how you never see key RFAs get offer sheeted and how much damage that could do to a team. But you do forget about the KHL factor. If you have a really high-end Russian player... That was basically an offer sheet. Yeah, yeah they'll just offer sheet your guy. And, and I mean, nobody in the NHL was going to pay him $10 million a year. But I could see why they would want him in the KHL for that much. And then you, you've, you've got to at least give him something competitive or you're going to lose him for two yeah, years. You can't lose Kuznetsov with all the other losses you've endured this summer. No. Hmm. So they, uh, they had him in a, in a pretty tough position there. And, and that just makes it that much tighter. Because if you look at their roster right now, they don't have a full roster. Nope. Not like they have a bunch of guys that are kind of filling roles. And you're like, I don't know about that guy. They literally aren't fielding a full roster right now. Cat Friendly has them at 17 players right now. Well, that's not enough to play a game of hockey, Craig. No, it's not. That's like adult pickup league. their projected cap hit is 70.9. <laughs> so they're, they're going to be signing you and me for less than we make for this podcast. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? It is going to be entry-level players. But you almost you look at that and you're like... Am I, am I missing something? Are they, are they still going to have to make another minor move in order to even squeeze those guys in? I don't know. Yeah, it'll be, uh, that's certainly a team to keep an eye on next season. All right, that's going to wrap this episode up. This was, uh, I'm, I'm losing track of the numbers. I believe this is 98. We're, we're closing in on episode 100 here pretty soon. So for Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.